0: We'll take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 37, 37 12. We'll take up where we left off last time. Last time we spoke of the jealousy of the sons of uh, Jacob, and jealous of Joseph. And of course, Joseph had made him a coat of many colors, and then Joseph had dreamed some dreams, and uh, all of this just made conditions worse. And we'll take up where the plot to kill Joseph uh, there in 37 and 12. And the brethren went to feed them their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? I had come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee. See, whether is well with my thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and came to Shechem, and a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren, tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed thence, and I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan, and Joseph went to Dothan after his brother and found them in Dothan. Let's pray together, please. Most gracious heavenly Father, we do thank, thank thee for thy many blessings you give us in Christ Jesus and for your word that's ever settled in heaven. And we thank Father that you don't sugarcoat it, you give it just like it is and how it was and and that we might be edified and learn from those things. and we just pray your mercies be upon this night, that you be pleased to edify the saints, save the lost, and that you would be magnified and glorified in Jesus' name. I thank Thee and praise Thee. Amen. And uh, the plot to kill that Joseph was sent to see his brothers' welfare. <clears throat> he went to Shechem, about fifty miles away from them, and then he went down to Dothan, which is about another ten miles. Uh, trying to find uh, his brothers and the flocks and see how uh, how they were doing. We don't know exactly how long they've been gone, but they've been gone long enough without any word that uh, Jacob was concerned about them and the flocks. And so uh, he sent them out. They were not where they uh, thought he, he, they were not where he thought he would be. Uh, they saw the dreamer coming toward them. Verse eighteen. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him in some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will come of his dream. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their Hands and said, "Let us uh, not kill him." And so their desire was to kill him, and there don't seem like to be any remorse or anything about it except for Reuben. And and so they thought if they killed him, that his dreams would vanish; they'd go away. And they said, well, "What would come of his dreams?" And of course, they didn't know they were in the process of fulfilling God's word and his dreams. And uh, of course, Joseph didn't either. <laughs> he, he uh, uh, i don 't imagine he had God gave him a road map for how uh, he was going to prosper and how uh, his uh, parents and his brothers would be bowing before him, uh, whether he thought he'd go to egypt or not i don't think so. I think he uh, didn't have an idea how what God was going to do about that, and so they would thought they would end their dreams. Reuben saw it, delivered out of the hands, and said let 's not kill him." Uh, and just put him in a pit and die, and he said it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors, and was on him, and took him and cast him into a into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it, and they said, and then they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, behold a company of Ishmaelites now the, The death that they decided to give him was just let him starve to death. I mean, they put him in a pit, and they're just going to leave him there and let him die. And they thought that was good enough. Reuben's idea, you go get him, bring him out, and take him back home. And then as we see that they see the uh, Ishmaelites coming, and as they see the Ishmaelites coming, the greed steps in, and they're... uh, uh, they see a way to make a profit out of this. Not only do they get rid of their brother, uh, but they make some money also. We don't know exactly how much money they would make in selling him to them, but and so they and they sat down, as we mentioned, and look. And the company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh and going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brethren were content, and then were passed the Mennonites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, And they uh, brought Joseph into Egypt, and Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren, and said, The child is not, and I, and I, whither shall I go? And they took the uh, Joseph's coat and killed the kid and uh, the goats, and dipped the coat into blood. Now, when Judah is making his presentation about uh, selling to the Ishmaelites, he said that our hand not be upon him. And let me say, they they didn't show clearly what their heart was. And uh, and the only thing that was stepping in here was greed. They uh, they uh, placed Joseph in the pit and then sold him. They took the prize coat of many colors and and uh, uh, after putting Joseph in the pit, they sat down, saw the caravan, and Judah later would become. Surety for Benjamin when they traveled to Egypt, the second time to buy food, but he, uh, there, here we see that Joseph, I mean Judah um, <clears throat> is only interested in the money that they 're going to make off of Joseph, and uh, so they were taking the goods down to, there, down to Egypt, they decided to sell a brother to them, and it would be just like he was dead because they never would see him again. Because he'd be off in some foreign country being a slave of some kind, and so they knew that they was rid of him. And when uh, <clears throat> they sent him away, Now Reuben wanted to rescue Joseph. And of course, he went back. And there was uh, the tomb was empty. He rent his clothes and in, in sorrow and anger, he confronted his brothers about the matter. And there in thirty-two, the grief of jo- uh, Jacob. <clears throat> And they took Joseph's coat, killed a kid, one well, of the goats, and dipped it, the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found no, now, whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat, an evil beast has devoured him. Joseph, without doubt, rent in pieces, and Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth and on his loins and, and mourned for his son many days and all the sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him but he refused to be comforted and he said for I will go down to my grave upon unto my son's mourning this, and thus this father wept for him and the Mennonites sold him unto into Egypt and to Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard now Jacob Is from all indication was still mourning when word come that Joseph was alive, and so when it says he would not be comforted, uh, think that's exactly what it means. And and sometimes we see this. Sometimes people lose loved ones and they never get over it. And uh, uh, I know that uh, they said of my grandmother that she just died of grief. Of course, I never did know her, but. My granddad died, and then within a year, she was dead. And so that's what they had said, that I think he, she refused to eat and so on and so forth. But <clears throat> the point I'm making is that this is not what God had planned for us. This is not the kind of grief that we should be comforted because it's just the way of life. This is just part of it. And sometimes it's hard to get over our losses and to pick up and go on. Uh, but that's what we should have done. What we should do. And so Jacob recognized the coat, and and he's one that soon that the beast had, had on the way a lion or a tiger or something rent him, and and all that was left was that coat. And he says, "For I will go down to my grave unto my son." mourning, as we mentioned, thus his father wept for him. There's a, uh, there's no indication that Jacob mourned for Joseph until. Until he brought him news, uh, of, and the second ruler of Egypt, uh, and of course uh, he thought he'd lost Benjamin in that time, and and uh, when they come with when he seen the carts and things, he was revived. Uh, losing loved ones and as mentioned, part of di- of di- of living, and Jacob thought that all the Joseph had dreamed or said might come true, but now. Uh, he was uh, thought Joseph was dead, and his dreams were dead, and all the plans of Joseph had gone down the drain. And because we know that the uh, Jacob rebuked him, that brothers made fun of him, and but he said that Jacob kept it within his heart. He the saying, he kept that, and now that was gone also. And then <clears throat> we find Joseph reaches his first stop in fulfilling God's plan for his life and he stopped in a place <laughs> uh, that was owned by Potiphar, and so he dreamed a dream, and his dreams was on the process of being completed, uh, but I don't think Joseph had an inkling of what it was going to be or what how he was going to accomplish, uh, how God was going to accomplish what he had dreamed. Uh, sometime we think we know what God's will is, and after a time we lose sight of it, and we and because it's not going like we think it ought to go, we then decide, well, maybe the Lord wouldn't end it. Maybe I was mistaken, or maybe this, that, and the other until uh, God brings it around. And so, nothing is said about how much Joseph was sold for, how much the Mennonites made off the sale, and, and uh, one's worth is seen by the number and quality of servants that they own. Uh, and this was a wealthy people, like in Egypt or almost any country at that time. Uh, the kind of the slaves, how many slaves you had, then the quality of the slaves if they were a high quality, good workers, smart, uh, depends on the what your occupation was then uh, then you would seem to be even richer, if you will, but if you had uh, lazy slaves and and the dumb ones and so on and so forth, they, you didn't look like you was very prosperous. So that was kind of a, a thing in their day to have slaves. And then the kind of slaves you had uh, made a difference of, of how people looked and perceived you. Uh, Jacob and Joseph, both cycles of narratives, begin with the father being deceived and the brothers being treacherous, chapters 27 and 37. Both cycles include a 20-year period of separation when the younger brother is a foreign, in a foreign land. For Jacob, see uh, Genesis 31:38, and for Joseph, he was 13 years in Potiphar's house in prison from the uh, age of 17, 37-2, to the age of 30, 41-46, and, and after seven years of abundance, his brother came to Egypt and, uh, and, and 41 and 42 both concluded that with a reunion and reconciliation by the brothers in 31 and 115. And then, uh, and then 45, uh, 1 through 15. And so there's a parallel between Jacob and Joseph. And the years are, are on part of a close of, uh, of the uh, time periods of, the, uh, of what went on. And so God worked out the matters and bring to resolution, uh, <clears throat> if you will, his, uh, with Jacob and would say, do the same for his son uh, later on. That was copied. Now we go to chapter 38. And um, this was a comment about 38 uh, that McGee wrote. Many people have asked me why the chapter is in the Word of God. I agree that it's one of the most worst chapters in the Bible, but it gives us some background on the tribe of Judah and out of which came uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of which the Lord Jesus Christ came, excuse me. And that was McGee. So this chapter here is an interlude. We're right in the middle of the story of Joseph. We went from Jacob and then to Joseph, and all of a sudden we got this chapter on Judah. And, uh, and you would think that we, as we had, had had been doing, you just go from one chapter to the other and pick up the narrative and go on. But that's not the way it is. We have a, have a change here. Uh, chapter 38 breaks up the story of Joseph, Egypt, and Jacob. Uh, we remember from God's uh, pronouncement that this iniquities of the Father upon the children... And the different passage it mentions there, uh, usually the type of household one comes from is the kind of person you're going to be. And uh, and yes, there are good people come out of bad household and bad people come out of good household. That's the truth. And and but normally, as a as a you know rule of thumb, uh, children, <coughs> if they're brought up in a good home, that uh, and brought up in the way they should be, that they'll be good people. And not necessarily saved people, but they'll be good people. And, and if one's brought up in a crooked home, then they'll be crooks. And uh, I've mentioned this before, but I can't remember the dates now. But in England, they did a study of two families. And one was a gangster, and one was a, a, a good family. And they had a lineage, both of them had lineage of men either evil or good, and they followed them for 100 years, I believe it was, and the majority of the gangsters' children were evil, and the majority of the good family were good, and, and, of course, there were crossovers, as I mentioned before, so it does make a difference where you come from, and it takes grace and the work of the Lord to, if you will, deliver you if you've been brought up in an evil and wicked situation and, Lord, and, of course, the Lord is able to do that. Jacob defies his family for several generations, especially in the things they suffered because of sin. And so when we think about how they was raised by Jacob and, and all of the shenanigans he did, uh, then uh, uh, we shouldn't be too surprised about Judah. And, and he's kind of, a, if you will, a renegade. There in uh, Genesis 38, first verse, And it came to pass that at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hara, And, and, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite, Canaanite, whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her, and she conceived and bare a son, and called his name Er. And she conceived again and bare a son, and called his name Onan. And she uh, yet again conceived, bare a son, and called his name Shelah. And he was at Sheba, she when she bare him. And so we start out with him marrying a Canaanite woman right off the bat, instead of marrying. And somebody said, Well, by this time Laban's run out of people to marry, and uh, but there was if you will, some family members in the tribe of Judah, I mean of Jacob, by this time. Nonetheless, whatever excuse people want to give him, he married incorrectly. He married wrong. And so he married a Canaanite woman, and he uh, he named his sons heir, awake, onan, strong, and shiloh, petition. Not uh, very much is said about his sons, and except what we... I have here. And verse 6, and Judah took a wife for <clears throat> heir, his firstborn, and whose name was Tamar. And Er, heir, uh, heir Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And so we start out, if you will, that um, he married Tamar, the oldest son. And uh, Tamar, for one, for she is one of a uh, Four women found in Matthew's listing of the human genealogies of Christ and other three are <coughs> Rahab, Ruth, and Bersheba, and, and that's from Butler. This lineage of, is the lineage of Joseph and Luke gives the lineage of Mary, also of Judah's line. <coughs> and all is said about er, uh, Aaron was, <coughs> was wicked in the sight of the Lord and, and the Lord slew him. In most cases, the Bible gives what kind of sin it is or what kind of wickedness it is. It just says he's wicked and the Lord slew him. And so it had to be something so bad uh, that the Lord would slay him uh, before his time. And uh, and all of us know this, that as Christians, a lot of things we've done, that if the Lord just slay us, would slay us for just some little thing, we'd all be dead. And so it had to be something tremendous and... Uh, something that he didn't turn from or seek the Lord from, uh, and, but in any case, uh, the Lord sl- uh, slew him, and uh, and so it says <clears throat> in most cases. Uh, excuse me, he was wicked enough that God slew him before he had any children, and then we uh, go on. Excuse me, <clears throat> and verse eight. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in, in unto thy brother's wife, marry her, and raise up a seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed would not be his. And he came to pass, when he went into his brother's wife, that he spilt it on the ground. And at least he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, there he slew him also. And So when I... Joe, <coughs> excuse me, Judah's got three sons. Two of them now are dead. And the son that, uh, that was supposed to go in and raise up seed for his brother, and this was the custom and tradition in their time, and, and later was become part of the law, uh, that uh, he died because not because of, 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 uh, of contraception, as, as many teach. He died because he didn't obey God. And uh, that's the reason that he died. He didn't want to raise up seed to his brother. There in Deuteronomy twenty-five, Deuteronomy twenty-five five, if a brother dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead will shall not marry without until a stranger, her husband's brother, shall go in unto her and take her to his wife, him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her, and it shall be that the firstborn which she bears shall secede in the name of his brother which is dead, that, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife and let his brother's wife go up to the gate and to the elders and say my son, my husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a a name in Israel, he will not perform the duty of a, my husband's brother, then the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, i like not to take her, then uh, shall the brother's wife come and unto him in the presence of the elders, loosed his shoe from off his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house." And his name was, shall be called in Israel the house of him that has his shoe loosed. And so and this is, uh, we see a similar thing in the book of Ruth with Boaz. And uh, he was at the gate. And, and, and uh, Ruth and uh, Naomi, of course, they would come back from the land of Canaan. And, and so uh, Boaz speaks to this guy and says, well... You know they've come back in the land and uh, need to buy her land, and he said, "Well, yeah, I'll buy it." You know, next he was the next to Ken. He said, "Well, in the day that you buy it, then you have to take Ruth." And of course, she was a Canaanite woman, and if he took her, then the first seed would be the <laughs> would inherit everything. So he said, "I can't do it; it's going to mess up my inheritance." And so Boaz took her, and they. If you remember, they took the foot, a shoe, excuse me, off the foot of the guy that refused uh, to take root. And uh, so we see this custom carried out. Then in Matthew 22, this is one of those things that the Sadducees used uh, to try to trick Jesus uh, and, uh, <clears throat> into, or trap him into a, or put him in a corner and, of course, they didn't believe in the resurrection or spirits or anything else. There in twenty-two, twenty-three, and it says, The same day came unto him the Sadducees, was said uh, <clears throat> that there is no resurrection. And he asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brethren. Now there were and with us seven brethren and the first when he had married a wife a deceased, and having no issue, left the wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, and unto the seventh, and the last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the <coughs> of the seven? For they all had her. And Jesus answered, said unto them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures and nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither married nor are given in marriage, but, the, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And so, uh, but this is the, the, the part that they used, if you will, to try to back Jesus in the corner. We know that the section we're in right now is before Moses, but we see the same tradition, the same uh, law, if you will, in effect, in their day. Onan did not have to want to raise up children and and because he'd he run his uh, line, if you will, or his lineage, he'd actually he'd be putting his brother's lineage before his, and he may not have one then and uh, so it didn't it didn't suit well with him and of course God uh, killed him In uh, verse eleven. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter in law, uh, <clears throat> "Remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown." And he said, "Least peradventure he die also, as his brethren did." And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua and Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted and went up to. His, his sheep shears to Tama, Tavnath, Timoth, and he and his friend Hirah and the Adulamite and it was told unto Tamar saying behold thy father in law goeth up to Tainath, and to, or to, shear, to shear his sheep and she put all her widow garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which is by the way and uh, to Timnath, and for she saw that she, Sheila was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. And Judah saw her and thought her to be a harlot because she covered her face. And he returned, he turned unto her, and by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come unto thee. <clears throat> for he knew not that it was his daughter in law. And she said, "What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me?" And he said, "I will give thee a kid from the flock." And she said, "Well, thou give me a pledge till they send it." And he said, "What pledge shall I give thee?" And she said, "The sicta and the brace by bracelet and the staff and that is in thy hand." And he gave it her and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. Now, how did Tamar know what? judah's going to do i mean her plan depended on judah uh going into a harlot i mean that her whole plan was based on that and and it's quite evident that she knew he would i mean that after his wife died and and uh, so this shows he maybe was a carouser uh, type person it doesn't say that but i I think it's clear that it was. So he, she took a pledge of him, and uh, they bargained uh, what would be the price—a lamb out of the flock. And so uh, she gave; he gave him sh- her surety uh, in lieu of payment till they get the lamb. And so he gave her the signet, the brace, uh, bracelet, and staff. And then she changed back to her widow's garment and went home. <coughs> And then in twenty, where he tries to get to pay his debt, and Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend the Edomite, and to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, and he found her not. Then he asked the men of the place, saying, "Where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside?" And they say, <laughs> "Said there were, was no harlot in this place." And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said, There was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, Let her take it to her lest we be ashamed. <laughs> Behold, I sent this kid and thou hast not found her. And uh, so jo- Judah wanted to cover his tracks. He just wanted to forget the whole situation. And so basically he uh, had done that. And then we have uh, in the verses uh, twenty-eight, and it came to pass. Excuse me. Skip twenty, verse twenty, and Jesus sent the. Uh, we read that, and twenty-three, and Judah. <clears throat> said, Let her take it to her, at least you be a, we be ashamed. Behold, I send this kid, and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass, after three months after uh, three months after that, it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. And when she was brought forth, the, <clears throat> she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By uh, the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these the signet, the bracelet, and the staff? And Judah acknowledged them and said she had been more righteous than I because I gave her not to Shelah, my son, and she knew her again no more. And so we see that again uh he was ready to burn her for whoredoms and uh, and I put in the notes this shows that the severity for some things is more severe with women than it was with men because they wouldn't they didn't, wouldn't burn a man uh for whoredoms I mean they might whip him or whatever, but you don't usually see that this would happen and and uh we' notice in our chapters speaks about whoredoms but uh, here it's talking about prostitution uh in the new testament oftentimes when it says whoredoms it's speaking about male prostitutes and so but here it's not speaking of that at all <clears throat> unless we get confused on the way and so and jacob uh, if you will he acknowledges his uh his sin in this matter and that she was more righteous than he was and uh so, the uh, Judah um, was ready to give her, uh, as we mentioned, burned up and uh, tamar's defense, and Judah acknowledges them and as his, and declare her to be more righteous. Perze is found in christ's genealogy, matthew one three and luke three thirty three starting at verse twenty seven and it came to pass time of her travel that behold, twins were in her womb, and it came to pass when she travailed that one put out his hand, and the midwife took the the and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came pass as he drew back his hand, and behold, his brother came out and said and she said, How hast thou broken forth this breach be upon thee, before therefore the name of was called Paras, and afterward came out his brother, and that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was Zerah. And of course, uh, um, Perez means breach. And this, the ideal is the fight in the womb to who gets to come out. That's the one hand come out and then withdrew, and then the Perez was born. And so he was, called, uh, he was uh, called Breach, and his brother was called Petition. And uh, the scarlet thread was the one of the ways, if you had twins, uh, they would use some mean to mark the child who was born first. At least there would be confusion after the children are born and get washed up and everything that they confuse which one was the firstborn. Because in their culture, the firstborn made a big difference. And especially if they would be the eldest child, as it was this case here, and the inheritance or double portion would go to them, and so they marked the baby, but then when they marked the baby, the hand went back in, the other one was born first, and so he was the eldest son and and so the the scarlet ribbon, if you will, uh didn't mean what it what it originally should have meant that he was the eldest son and so uh in their culture again, it's very very important, which was the eldest. And as we study Genesis, you see the eldest got the double portion. Usually they would take over the leadership of the tribe. Uh, if it depends on which uh, family we're in. And, and uh, they would have prestige among the, their fellow patriarchs of the time. And so it was a very important person or position to be in as the eldest child. Uh, similar to Lot, he was the father of his grandson, Similar to Lot, he was father of his grandsons. The eldest uh, replacing his seed of heir. And, uh, of course, it's not exactly the same because Lot was incest. This was not. But nonetheless, it was whoredoms or fornication. God moved the Israelites to Egypt to keep them from being mixed to the point they would lose their identity. However, the Egyptians would not even eat at the same table with the Israelites, much less intermarry with them, Genesis forty three, thirty two. Shepherds were also abomination to them, in Genesis forty six, thirty four. Joseph did marry an Egyptian and the daughter of a priest, for it was concluded that Joseph interpreted the dream by the Spirit of God. And that's the only reason that there would have been a marriage there, but uh, the e- Egyptians hated them. I mean, they—it's—it's it's like uh, we've seen prejudice in times, and it's the same thing. And so they went to the land of Goshen, which was a good place to be, but there was really like a little separate uh, place from the Egyptians. You had the Egyptians all around them, but you had Goshen here that basically was uh, belonged to Israel.